welcome to B Plot Podcast, the podcast where we take a look at some of the biggest movies from days gone by. Mostly ignore it. Look at the ones that come out on the exact same day. Now, my name is Lincoln. I'm out here with my man Sam. Sam, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you keeping? I'm keeping well, my dude. I'm keeping well because um, I didn't completely hate the movies that we that we chose to watch this week. Oh, either of them. I'm gonna st- either of them, either of them. I'll I'll let you talk me into disliking P2 if uh, <laughs> if I'm feeling generous. But um, actually, yeah. So the movies, uh, you know, guys. I'm sorry, sorry. Usually there's a bit of back and forth, but uh, Sam not in the mood for foreplay today. Don't want to chat. Just, just no get chat. Straight to it. Let's get straight to it. The movies that we chose uh, this week: No Country for Old Men, the Coen Brothers masterpiece. Um, and in my opinion, they're actually they're, they're proper masterpiece, the crowning achievement. And uh, the movie that came out on the exact same day, um, November 9th, 2007, I think it is, P2. Um, I know some of you are thinking, is there a P1? The answer is no, there's <laughs> no P1. P2 is the name of a parking garage level. Mm. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's a whole different kettle of fish. But before we actually get to P2, uh, the first movie, No Country for Old Men. Mm. Sam, masterpiece. Am I right? Yeah, it's it's a it is a masterpiece. It's undeniable in I think in every way. It's not my favorite Coen Brothers movie, but it's a perfect movie. There is nothing that could be added or taken away from this that would make it better. And really interesting for a blockbuster. Uh, I remember I haven't seen this film since it came out, but it's still at points gave me that feeling like there were there were a couple of conversations where the camera lingers just a bit too long on somebody and I felt like I'm in the cinema. I felt like, yeah, I'm really this is this is a movie. And it's because it does that thing so well where instead of shouting, it's like the whole movie is like somebody talking real quiet so you like lean in to listen. That's the mm. the whole film. Um look man, if you came to this podcast for some sort of reactionary take um, where either Sam and I take down in kayfabe or not, no country for old men. Hey man, this isn't it. <laughs> yeah. um, this isn't it. I tell you what, this movie absolutely fantastic. Core premise is very simple. It's basically uh, it's it's kind of like a western. Um, we have Tommy Lee Jones. Um, Luella, uh, we have uh, Josh Brolin, the great Josh Brolin, and we have uh, Javier Bardem. And this is actually weirdly one of those movies where I can remember the characters' names better than I can remember the names of the actors, which tells you how well acted and how well defined this world is. And if if we have any regular listeners, that is this is the first time that has happened for you. I feel. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So we have um, Llewellyn Moss played by Josh Brolin. Um, he stumbles across uh, a kind of a drug deal gone bad. He stumbles across the aftermath of this drug deal. And he finds some money. He finds a, a, a box full of money. And we, a kind of a corporation, a vague corporation run by uh, Steve Root, mm. um, which is great. Um, they send Anton Sugar to go and find the briefcase. And on the other third, the other third side of it is that Tommy Lee Jones' character, the brilliantly named Ed Tom, hmm. Um, he has to find Llewellyn Moss and find uh, the money before Anton Sugar finds uh, Llewellyn Moss and kills him. And very simple story, very simple story, but that really doesn't tell the whole tale. Mm. And it's, it's okay, it's another interesting one, right? Because this 
I think I I don't think I've seen. I think I saw Hail Caesar, which was the Coen Brothers movie, but I still haven't seen. There's like two other movies the Coen Brothers have done since this movie, and I don't, I haven't watched them yet because it's Burn After Reading would be one of them. Oh, I've seen Burn After Reading. Was that after No Country? I think so. Um, it's also, the, um, Inside uh, Llewellyn Llew- Davis, which is the other one that I haven't seen, and Buster Scruggs I haven't seen. Okay. Um, but there's the common theme, the, or the common object between most Coen Brothers movies is a bag of money. Mm. Uh, and when I was a teenager, I could have told you all the films, but there's uh, it's two million dollars right in this bag in uh, No Country for Old Men. Uh, there's a bag of money in Fargo, obviously. Um, uh, there's two hypothetical bags of money in The Big Lebowski. There's two fake bags of two million dollars. And Burn After Reading, there's a bag of money. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember very well. I remember Burn After Reading being the being very funny. Mm. I remember being hilarious, but I don't really remember much beyond that. But look, let's 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 back it up a little bit. So this is based on a, a Cormac McCarthy book, uh, No Country for Men. Cormac McCarthy is one of he's a really great author. He wrote, all his movies have like these themes of like masculine, like a really masculine writing. Uh, relationships mm. between fathers and sons and brothers and also like the kind of the violence at the core of the American experiment. That's like mm. his thing. And so he seats that within this very interesting book uh, yeah. that he delivers here. I've only read one Cormac McCarthy book and it was Blood Meridian. Oh, that's, um, a, that's a banger. Right, banger. it's a great... But, and this is the thing, I read Blood Meridian years after I had first seen No Country for Old Men and I remember reading the book and being like, oh shit, No Country for Old Men makes a lot more sense now because it, ha- again, has this really interesting quality of like blink and you miss the key story. Yeah, if you, if you, it's all hidden in there, but then there are these like long scenes of like, the, oh, this is exposition and this is thrill and this is just the, mm. the raw emotion. And then. Am, yeah. I, am, am I right in thinking that Blood Meridian doesn't have any punctuation in it or am i thinking of a different book nah you're right it's a tough read yeah it it doesn't have punctuation in it and you kind of have to like fall in and out of the in and out of the 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 actual flow of the story yeah yeah there's there's no indication as to when somebody's speaking apart from thing he said and then it just bleeds in but i've I've, you know what's interesting so um watch this with my partner first time she's seen a country for old men she's very apprehensive but i was like no, trust me, I got this one. I got this mm. one. Um, but she says that apparently there's like a little thing online where like it's a it's a Twitter thing or like an online thing. Like if a guy says that his favorite book is The Road by Cormac McCarthy, like it's like a huge red flag. Oh, really? It's like a huge red flag. It's like, oh, this is like the kind of that's because you are you are wise enough to know that you should have you should be reading books. <laughs> that aren't about football, but you are too dumb to to read past anything that wouldn't be a video game. Yeah. So you just pick the road. But here's why I said I said even even as it's like I know I, I know what you point you're trying to make, but I was like, that is a banger of a book. So I'm not I'm not here for this. <laughs> that <laughs> well, is one of my <laughs> I feel like and I'm ready to be proven wrong, but I do also feel like this might be a Gen Z thing where they're not reading the toxicity as how it's intended. 
Oh yeah, you, you mean they, they are conflating the person reading it with the subject, well, with they're, the they're, actual subject of the book. Yeah, they're not. Then I and it's. I mean, it's. A, I think it's a very Gen Z thing at the moment, and don't, not all of them. Just the internet ones. Who, let's be honest. No, all, <laughs> all of them. All of them. Sam. All of them, Sam. <laughs> Feel the darkness. <laughs> Dude, we need careers in ten years, man. We got. You know, we got to play it darkness. careful. <laughs> um. But is basically to not understand art as a critique of the thing it's critique. And you've said it before in this podcast as well. Is like being in the thing is not an endorsement of, of these the actions. Thing. Of the thing. And you know what? This is the same. This is the kind of people who would um, watch The Sopranos and just be like, well, it's just glorifying the violence. It's just a bunch of guys killing each other. What sort of bullshit is this? That's not a feminist masterpiece. We should watch Bridgerton. Bridgerton is just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a you son of a bitch get yeah. out of here it's key you could i always feel like it's the the key is you can tell when somebody understands vince staples to not understanding vince staples i'm like that's my <laughs> that's my gen z gauge as to whether i like you or not if you get it okay. you get it um, look man look wait, let's let's get back to the country for old mm. men i think i think watching it back here's a couple of things that jumped out to me man you don't often notice this in movies but um, incredible sound design. Mm. Large parts of the movie has no music. So you're kind of relying on um, like the screech of a, of a floorboard. And this is something I've started to notice more since I've been playing video games where you notice like just how does it sound? Mm. Um, and also, by the way, if you're making more movies, should just have silence in it. Yeah, More movies should just have like periods where there's no dialogue and the story is just telling itself. I think that's um, completely underrated especially in the case of both of these films for thrillers is because the moment you score it, you taken me out of the moment and reminded me I'm watching a movie. Yeah. And, and, and okay. This is every time, every time I watch a Carmen brothers movie, I have a new favorite bit, right? And my favorite bit this time wasn't conversation. My favorite bit was the, uh, the confrontation between Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem in the ho in the motel room when he finally does catch up to him, mm. and we, Josh, at this point, it's it's so good because almost everything in this movie that isn't Tommy Lee Jones could be, and for the most part, is a silent film. Uh, the story is rarely told through anything the characters say, but it's just this bit where. Josh Brolin knows Anton Chigurh is coming up on him. So he's he's poised at this door. He's turned the lights off and he's checking for the footsteps underneath. And you see the footsteps go past. Go past uh, and then, you know, he sits on the bed with the shotgun and then you see the footsteps come back and just stand outside the door. And I was like, this is fucking terrifying. I was sitting, mm. I had all my windows open. It was freezing cold in here. I was sweating from a film I saw 14 years ago. I yeah. was like, this is this is just great visual storytelling. Yeah, it's, it's it, and you know what? The actual depth of the visual storytelling and of the sound design has, it's, it, it can almost kind of overwhelm, I think the the symbolism and the themes of the, of the movie, which I think are like profound, mm. like really, really profound themes. Um, and it, and it, I was reading a bit about it, and and it, and it makes a lot of sense. Is that you basically have, you have Anton Chigurh, you have Llewellyn Moss, uh, which is Josh Brolin's character, and you have um, Ed Tom, which is Tommy Lee Jones's character. And 
Tommy Jones is the old man mm. in the No Country for Old Men man. Yeah. He is the he is the one who's unmoored and like really at a loss and doesn't understand like the senseless violence around him. Just to roll it back a little bit, like essentially this is a western. Mm. There's other like genre elements into it, but this is essentially a western. And um I think you have three different types of western characters. You have Tommy Lee Jones is like the old school Clint Eastwood lawman western character. Mm-hmm. You have um the Welland Moss, um, Josh Brolin's character, who's a kind of a bit of an anti-hero. He's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy. And he's a kind of like an unforgiven Deadwood style um, mm-hmm. Western character. And then you have um, Anton Chigurh, who is a um, essentially like chaos. Yeah. Just death and despair. And, and, and you know, death made, made human. And the interesting part is that like this movie is taking place Tommy Lee Jones's character is just confused the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he's just like I don't understand it, and like and it and it, and it transcends because he's basically like he's in the middle of this. He's a '60s Western character. He's like, well, you know, the good guys triumph, and um, he, he wears a literal white hat. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and um, he doesn't understand it, and he's just like lost in this movie where all of the senselessness and the violence just goes on around him, and he really can't figure it out. Yeah, that's what's it. Uh, to, to go, I have to roll back again to Anton Chigurh being the basically the physical manifestation of death and violence, right? It, to Blood Meridian again. Is do you remember the judge character? I do, I do. All right, is one of the best lines in any book I've ever read, which is when they ask they ask him why he's noting down all nature that he comes across, and he says anything that exists without my consent. No, any what's it? Anything that exists without my knowledge exists without my consent. And it's just mm. the idea that if he doesn't know it exists, he's going to kill it. And uh, yeah, Anton Chigurh—that's what Cormac McCarthy is so good at doing, just like a out-and-out villain for reason. And it's so—I in- can't wait to talk about P two as well because there are so many parallels, so many themes mm. and ideas that cross over f- through both of these movies. But on Tommy Lee Jones, I'm like, what's interesting is he's always. He's always confused, but he's also always ahead of the game. He's ahead of everybody else. He knows every time he goes... There's, it's something I noticed the first time when they find... They, they're looking for Llewellyn and they go into his trailer. Um, and they they spot... He immediately spots that the milk is just freshly drank and there's still sweat marks on the glass and that he's like so mm. close. And the deputy is like really wants to get on it and he... Uh, he's like, what are we going to do? Like looking for a man who was recently drinking milk. And (laughs) it's a great line. Yeah. Uh, But Tommy Lee Jones puts his, he does this thing where he takes the evidence and he puts his hands on it and he drinks the glass of milk. And it's one of those things where as the viewer, you're frustrated. You're like, no, but dude, dust it for Prince. I don't know, do something. But he knows, he never does anything right, but he always knows what's going to happen. And I think that's, the futility is that actually it's no country for old men is he was one of these men in this, in the sixties, but he, it's just, it's just gone too far past him. It's just, it is just about the tragedy of aging for him. Yeah. It, it, and it is to him. And I think one of the things that's interesting, because the movie starts with a narration and ends with a narration and the start and the, this, the narration at the beginning basically tells the story of like the senseless violence around him and how he doesn't really understand it. And, Tommy Lee Jones tries to like root himself in this tradition of lawmen of the past. Mm. Um, his dad was a his dad was a sheriff. He, you know, some of them didn't even have to carry a gun. 
And what's what I find interesting about it is uh, the first thing is uh, it's made clear to him that things haven't changed. He goes to visit, I think, his brother. Yeah. And his brother tells him the this, this story of the of the Indians who were coming to to murder him, according to what the brother said, to murder their uncle. Mm. And it tells this vi- really graphic story about how they got shut down. The guy was bleeding through his lung. And the guy's like, so when was that? Was that like, no, no, that was in 1909. <sighs> and it's like, that's, I think, the thing that's that always undercuts Tommy Lee Jones is that like, man, this has always been the case. Mm. America's founded on violence and yeah. people hurt each other. Oh, and it's been happening all along. Mm. This violence isn't new. You just, it's just, you know, it's the same thing. You just aren't equipped to deal with it as much because you're old. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, right? Is that's the, and it's kind of what's at the center of all of the Cormac McCarthy stories is that this brand of masculinity always leads to to these same endings, right? You're either you're yeah. either too old to keep up or you die young. Another thing that's only noticed on the second time around that I would not definitely would not have noticed in the third is how, in, like, to underline the fact that all of these characters are basically in different movies mm. is they never in the same scene together. Yeah. Um, or they're never in the same shot, at least. Yeah. Um, even if they are in the same scene, and it just shows you like how how fragmented and segmented it is. Mm. And that unmooring that Tommy Lee Jones has, like he's in this country that he doesn't understand, dude. That's how you feel mm. because you're in the story that's just like going down dead ends, and you're like, wait, what? So, okay, so in the end, he just gets hit by a random car and he walks away, mm. and you're yeah. like. In the end, Tommy Lee Jones, he, he has this, uh, the guy's basically telling him, telling his wife his dream, which mm. is, and the dream is not even a particularly um, interesting dream. It's just like a dream of like, uh, at least I can kind of understand what yeah. this means. <laughs> I, can, well, I can have an idea. Well, the, okay. So, the, I mean, this is the real greatness of the movie is they, they all die. They all really, like Llewellyn is trying to get away with the money he gets killed because they, they, that's the that's the worst thing that can happen to him. Tommy Lee Jones is too old to be a sheriff anymore. The only thing he can fucking do is stop these men. And, and that is the thing, like you said at the top, like some guys didn't even carry their guns. Tommy Lee Jones quits when he first pulls the gun. In the, this is the first time he, has, he takes his gun out mm. is to go to where Llewellyn has been murdered. He doesn't know that obviously yet, but... That's that's the oh and I'm fucking quitting I'm done this is too much. Anton Chigurh, who is chaos, the only thing that can catch up to him is chaos, right? And I lo- I kind of love it because it's like he doesn't die. There's no oh and we kill the bad guy and all is right. It's like no he gets to go on and live the rest of his life. But there's a bone sticking out of his arm that hundred percent is never gonna heal. And it's this beautiful moment where. Chaos is what gets him, and he died because the only thing that he can do, which is kill everybody in his path, he's just not physically equipped to do anymore. Yeah, it's so true, man. And like, can I tell you another thing that I know? And I think we have to move on because we're staying on this a little bit too long mm. for, um, than we normally do. But like, I love, I love the chat about dogs because, in my head at least, I know movies really punish people who hurt animals. 
That's like the, mm-hmm. that's like a real shorthand for this guy's a real piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Like if you ever watch like a, a hostage movie or something, uh, there's always like a scene just to make sure. Ah, oh, dude, have you ever? I think do you know those movies they used to make like five years ago where they were just storming the White House. <laughs> I never saw sure. them, but yeah, I'm aware of. Sure, <laughs> that nonsense. And until they just like actually did it, and everyone's like, "All right, some guys had a screen right, had a screenplay. It's like, right, fucking delete." Yeah, yeah. Rip, rips up his screenplay. It's like, all right, thanks a lot, Donald Trump. <laughs> well, I, I have to. This is this is off topic, but I have to interject here because it's ve- really interesting. Was I was doing some research after the the, the real world White House storming into QAnon. And well, they didn't storm the White House. They stormed the Capitol. Sorry, the Capitol. What am I? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a brain cell behind today. But the uh, the guy who is behind QAnon because they wrote all these art. There's all these articles and all these dissections about how it, the the internet. It's a video game coded for people to release endorphins when they think they're discovering the truth. When actually, it's just like you know, this is just a symbol. Do you know what I mean? They're all see, yeah. it's not all AOL. Uh, the guy who started QAnon was a guy who couldn't sell his screenplay because he sucked at writing screenplays. Love it. Uh, Love it. And you've just put that together here. You're the fucking Tommy yeah. Lee Jones of this podcast, man. <laughs> now, what I was going to say is like, they, I remember once, I watched one of those movies. I can't remember which one it was, but um, I think uh, I think it was Koreans. It was an Asian country in, 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 uh, storming the White House. Mm. And one of the things they did to prove that they were bad guys is that um, the FBI released released these dogs, or the Secret Service released these dogs, and they shoot the dogs. Mm. And it's implied that you're supposed to feel bad because, like, what animals? Who? How could you kill a dog? But it's also that dog was being sicked on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To bite them in the throat. <laughs> and then they were like, "No, I'm not gonna die so that a dog can kill me." Yeah. And like, that's the like the another example of like the moral complexity of like Llewellyn Moss in a, any other Western, like. Mm. Killing a dog is the worst thing you can do. Mm. But here they're like, whoa, what if that dog's running for your throat? Like, what are you supposed to do then? Yeah. And um, at the same time, with Tommy Lee Jones and his deputy, when they come upon the scene uh, of the crime, uh, the failed drug deal, um, they're like, oh man, they even killed the dog. And I was like, nah, that dog had to go. Yeah. That dog that dog was going to kill you. This the is dog it. had to go. Dude, like, I'm a huge animal lover, man. I love cats and dogs. But you you have to kill the fucking dog, man. Dude, it's, it's not even close. When I think about the human beings I would kill to keep living myself, I'm like, yeah, I got, <laughs> I could I could go through a fucking pound, man. Yeah, look, I'm not saying if you look if you go around um, shooting straight dogs, you're an animal. All right, you're getting the check. In yeah. fact, I put it to you in this society that we live in, Sam. Mm. If there was at least, if there was a person going around killing random dogs, mm. dude, we would we would fucking bring back the death penalty the next day. <laughs> like well, people, people would uh, would storm the police holding cell, <laughs> tear that guy limb from limb. I I don't know if you're aware of it because you wouldn't have been in in the UK when it happened, but you're aware of the lady that put the cat in the bin? I'm vaguely aware of such things. I mean... Explain it to me so that I know where I can stand on it. Okay, it it was was a video. It was like security cam footage of a woman. She's an old woman walking past a house on a residential street. 
She sees a cat that's perched next to one of those wheelie bins. She just knocks the cat in the bin and closes the lid, right? <laughs> the cunt that, like, this is the thing, yeah? That's fucked up, right? We still talk about this, like, ten years later. This still comes up every... Hey, remember the lady that put the fucking cat in the bin? But for, like, two years, right, the UK... If you brought up the lady with the cat in the bin, it was like the end of fucking Frankenstein, man. It was like, we got to fucking get this woman. And I'm yeah, like, like <laughs> as you was funny about that, I'm imagining like two years after the fact, you just chatting to your friend in your lounge and you just you get worked up. You're like, oh, fuck. All right, God, let's go. <laughs> let's Vigilante, get it. <laughs> Vigilante justice. <laughs> Walking the street, looking at old ladies. Let me see your papers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You get away this time, old lady. <laughs> walking around with like, walking around with a picture of the lady on your phone. <laughs> yeah, just, like just the holding, back of her head, just like looking. Just, just holding that next to people at the bus stop being like, oh, okay, not this one, not this one. Man, people get really upset about people who hurt animals. Um, no. <laughs> and you know what? Again, it leads very neatly into... Um, the second movie that we chose to watch uh, that came on the came out on the exact same day, which is P two. Mm. Sam, give us the brief summary of P two. P two is a oh, it's a, it was so bad, man. Is it P two is about a woman who works at a company, and she's just trying to get home on Christmas Eve, and she's the last one out of the office, and the security guard is obsessed with her. So he locks her on parking floor two and mm. torments her for an hour and 37 minutes. It's hour and 33, I think. Oh, well, the, the, the one minute, the, the credits. <laughs> I'm, including the cre I'm including the credits in this because the credits were short. The credits were like three minutes and my, my TV said an hour 37. Yeah, it's, like, it's a little, little uh, gift to you just to be like, whew. Mm. Made it to the end of that. No, I, the security guard who traps uh, our uh, protagonist, uh, whose name I've forgotten. Mm. Um, I should I find it out. We'll say this though: the actor who they chose to play him it looks like every single live-action Spider-Man rolled into one fucking dweeb. You know who that is? That's your man from uh, that fucking um, um, weapon moron who was. Who filmed all those plastic bags in American Beauty? Is that guy? Oh God! Yeah, yeah. It's him, him filming all those, uh, filming those plastic bags. Mm. Shout out to you, my dude. There is a lot of beauty in the world. Um, Disagree, but yeah. So we have Angela. So we have Angela is the kind of um, protagonist, mm. and she is against um, American Beauty here. Okay, and you can kind of see where this is going. Uh, Angela has to work late. Her car doesn't start. She's ostensibly in the car park from Resident Evil 2. Mm. And um, she can't escape because this guy is trying to... He, he knocks her out. And um, he creates a nice spread in his defense. He has some nice food there for her to eat uh, as he's holding her kidnap, uh, mm. <laughs> holding her hostage and uh, incurring a felony conviction. Um, he holds her there. And then, yeah, it's her. She has to escape. Now, and that's all we have for the most part. There's an important thing I want to say about the, the, the lead into this film, right? Is because the only exposition we have really before the premise starts is 
I think it's her boss or co-worker comes in to her office to try and apologize for what happened in the elevator at the Christmas party. And as, as the audience at this point, we're getting right. So he's tried to, to get, he's tried to rape her and whilst drunk and doesn't want it to be a thing. And that's the only exposition we get right at the top of the film. The reason I think this is important is because this whole movie feels like, uh, like I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to describe the type, the macho dude. This movie feels like a macho rapist has made a film to be like, look, we're not as bad as those kind of nerdy rapists, though. Can I say something? I actually think this is I I I, I picked that up as well. So uh, yeah, she, the, her boss comes up and apologizes. We later learn in the movie. Um, uh, through security footage that American Beauty has uh, procured, that this guy tried to get frisky with um, the the protagonist. Mm. Um, he kind of grabs at her, and um, it, I don't know if to go too far as to say it was an attempted rape, but it was clearly uh, non consensual. Yeah, and um, but the mo- he is the only person in the movie to die besides the villain spoiler and the very nice black uh security guard yeah yeah only black character in a horror (laughs) thriller yeah um very nice black security guard and i actually thought this is like a, a an uncomfortable thing killing the boss and by the way this movie is crazy violent the few times that it is violent like he is trapped to a chair uh, he gets ran into a, a wall. You see his like stomach, all his guts. guts come out of his, all his guts come out, and he's killed in this horrifically violent way. And it serves to weirdly um, make him sympathetic and make the actions of the the other security guard of American Beauty um, almost uh, what's the word? In killing him so violently, you make his indiscretions seem not so bad. Yeah, exactly. See what I mean? Like, yeah. In, yeah, what he did was, he, guy should be fired, all of those things, and he, it should be addressed properly, and he should be punished, but not by running his head against the wall <laughs> so that his stomach guts can fall out. I think every, I think I have an instant cancel for every scene in this movie. That is nuts. But this was one of the biggest, where it was like before okay it's uh the killer the security guard has angela handcuffed in the car right so she's got her hands behind her back she can barely move they're staring at the guy tied to a chair and they're having this argument where the killer is like he thinks you're a slut you've got to show these men that you won't be treated like that and then she's like no 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 he's a good man he has a family a wife and i'm like well i mean that makes what he did worse in terms of his life like he's also bringing more victims into it just to add to the count and i'm like i don't i really feel this is the thing it's so clearly written and directed by men who have no idea what any... We don't know what this feels like, but we can comment on what other men write about what they think it feels like, is... She's like, yeah, no, he's a good dude. He just tried to force himself on me in an enclosed, claustrophobic space. Doesn't feel like it fits. And then to spin it on the crazy security guard as like, 
there's this kind of thing where you've got two types of sexually aggressive dudes. You've got like the conservative, I'm going to take what I want. And you've got the liberal, I'm a fucking cult leader, baby. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I learned to play guitar. It's, but those archetypes are still doing the same thing through different ways. Do you know what I mean? Just because. Yeah, but, yeah, but this is the thing that's like, again, that's uh, annoying because that's what's stupid about the movie is, is in making the death so horrifically violent. It robs it of any sort of nuance. I can understand someone in that scenario. By the way, this is it's a coworker, he has gone frisky, whatever. It's is bad guy. I can understand her going, "Oh, yeah, he should be punished. He shouldn't have his fucking head rammed against the P2 garage wall." Yeah, and yeah. his guts flowing. That's like a that's not a proportional response for justice. People don't do people don't want that. Often regardless of what people uh do to like if you know that's why we make movies about it. If, yeah. if someone does stuff like that. It's also, it's also the, uh, the, and it's where I feel like, it's why I feel like this film was so bad, right? This is, this has taken my uh, number three spot of worst films, I think, that we've watched on this podcast. I can't, I can't believe that. I can't believe you said that. This can't be worse than, okay, all right. Wait, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of films that I think are worse than this, but this I think is the third. Um, is because the the killer is so beyond insane that it's like, bro, I can't even see his internal logic in here. Like when you and this is again, there's so many parallels, like uh, cosmetic parallels between these two films. Both of these films have our protagonist killing an evil, like a dog that's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. But this film ends with her garroting the security guard in a very similar scene to the way Anton Chigurh garrots the guy at the very beginning of No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Both have immense violence. Uh, I've lost my fucking point. I can't believe it. Yeah, I think I could tell you. Were, I could tell you were falling down there. I wasn't going to help you up. I had I had a three. Th- this is my problem with the rule of three, right? Is that by the time I think of the second thing to buffer it out, I've forgotten the <laughs> third thing. Because <laughs> you already have the third thing. I start so with the, the third. So f- first of all, first thing. All right. Second of all, um, another thing. But mostly, mostly it's <laughs> the, third thing. The thing I <laughs> mostly it's third thing. So yeah. what you have this, uh, you have the rhythms of telling an, an interesting yeah. story. But you are fucking jazz guitarist, jazz flute, trying to find the notes as you're playing them. I'm trying to, I, I know it ends on G, but I'm yeah. trying to find all the notes that lead to G. And by to the G, time yeah. I get to B, I'm like, wait, what the fuck was the last note? No, by the time you get to B, you're not even playing an instrument anymore. You've stopped and you've started to make a sandwich. So that's the that's the difference. Oh man, it's long that that made me really want to make a sandwich. Um, <laughs> the wait, I, I have it in my notes. Um, what was the fucking? What was the point of this movie again? The point of this movie is that this guy is a little beta male cock soy boy. I've, I've got card. it. I've got it. I've got <laughs> it. Wait, wait, no, I've stop talking. I've got the point back. I don't want to lose the point, man. Is that Anton Chigurh is a fully realized psychopath, right? He's connected directly to the theme and he is characterized so well in believing in his own code, 
right? And it's the core, th- this is the core thing running underneath No Country for Old Men is the rules that a man lives by, right? Tommy Lee Jones wants to hold up this idea of like justice and well-being amongst society and in, in this big sense, pacifism in a violent world. Anton Chigurh holds up the rules of fatalism and chaos by trusting everything in the coin and giving in to every impulse. Another very interesting scene is he goes to visit Josh Brolin's wife at the end, Carla Jean, and he try after then this is after he's died, this is after the whole story is over, and he tries to make her call the coin and she refuses and he kills her anyway. Mm. Uh, mm. And it's it's just a footnote. It's just a, a like a yeah. a thing. This psychopath, his logic is so all over the place. I was like, bro, part like most of me now wants to see this film switch to like a buddy cop movie, but it's the psychopath and the victim because I'm like, he is so close to self-awareness, but it's like, bro, the actions, like what you're spouting and what you're doing is so disjointed. A couple of things that I liked. I liked um, that the movie, I don't know if I liked it. A couple of things I noticed. Notice that the movie is set on Christmas, which is unusual. You don't always see this. Movie set uh, on Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> a, not about Christmas. And uh, B, didn't come out at Christmas, which is um, pretty good. It's, I thought, oh, fair enough. I don't know why movies have to come out around Christmas in order to watch it. Like, you can watch like a Muppet Christmas Carol whenever. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things. It's that's fucking weird. There was sorry, there was another thing, and it's is is not uh it's not a fault of the movie. Movies do this all the time. It's just something that generally irks me about movies. Is she when she's first been taken hostage, she's chained to the chair. He makes her call her family to say, "I'm not going to be coming for Christmas Eve, so don't wait up." And obviously, she's crying. She's stressed as fuck. She's thinking i'm gonna die when the when the family picks up the phone it's the sister the like her sister is like you know you should really think about your family more often before you pull stuff like this you know and i was just like this is the film i want to see i would never ever forgive whoever said that to me when i was in that situation (laughs) i'm being held hostage i'm like i'm gonna die tonight my sister picks up the fucking phone is like you're a real piece of shit you know for cancelling I'm like, but when I get out of here, you're oh, ending up like, in my seat and I'm the fucking security guard now. It's on site. It's on yeah. site. That's That relationship is never recovering. Never recovering. You can do also, oh, yeah, you, I can't believe that you slept with my husband. Oh, remember that time when I was a hostage? <laughs> yeah. And you said I was a complete bitch. Do you remember that time? So, yeah, yeah. I think I think I will be sleeping with Tom this week. Yeah, I think I will be. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Um, also, man, how dumb was this? Um, this is also, I know, like proper horror movie shit. Um, he, part of the big violations of it is he drugs her and then he puts her in, in a dress. Um, and obviously you've seen her naked cause she doesn't have any of her clothes and she changes her, he cho- changes her into a white dress. This is the, like, man, uh, this is also like dude thing. It's like he doesn't change her into like a, a, a reasonable dress. <laughs> he changes her in. She's got all her titties out. <laughs> and I'm like, 
that kind of makes sense for the like that's what a, a guy would do if he would have to dress a woman <laughs> he would just like get titties out this is this is a hundred percent what the director guy would do <laughs> because again is an uh is the other thing that irked me about this movie and you know what i sh- I told. I think I told you last time we spoke. I watched Scream the other week, and, mm, and, it, mm. and it just holds up fucking amazingly as like a horror parody, uh, a, a break of the balance. But this hit every fucking trope so hard in two thousand and seven, mind you. This isn't the eighties anymore. This is like, like eleven years after Scream. Like, yeah, this is so far beyond that she gets put in this incredibly low-cut dress, which, as the film goes on, I think gets lower and lower cut, right? But then at one point, she she manages to escape. She tries to get into the elevator. She can't work... She can't get out of the parking lot because it's all disabled. So, instead of taking control of the elevator, which I'm 100% sure this guy can do, seeing that he has all the parking lot powers... He gets a hose to try and drown her out of the elevator. And the only the only reason this is in the film at all is to then make the dress completely wet and see-through. And I'm like, buddy, you can't have your villain do the same thing that you're doing as a director and me still have any fucking faith in you. Should we move on to category, Sam? We I have think, to, uh, I think. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, let's, let's move on. Um... We have categories on the, on the program, on the on the podcast, where we try and uh, compare these two things. Usually the first one is instant cancellation. Now, Sam, what is the instant cancellation in P2 or in No Country for Old Men? Instant cancellation. Okay, I'm going to go for my number one. Because I have one, two, I have four for P2. But my number one spot has to be back to this elevator scene. Right when she's desperately trying the call for help button, and she gets through to what is presume what she presumes, and we as the audience presume, is a man, an Indian man, saying, "Okay, please be calm. I'm going to call the police." In a very thick Indian accent, of course, it's not a, it's not a, a man from outside the building at all. It's the killer, and he's taking control mm. of the fucking thing. And I'm like, bro. This is a double cancel, right? You are trying yeah. to molest, murder, and just take this woman, and you go and you're going for the straight up racist accents, man. That was like his yeah. go to. Is the is the instant cancellation? Shouldn't it be on the woman to be like, wait a minute, I don't know, I, <laughs> what's your name? i i I would agree if it wasn't for all the times that she just escaped murder i'm like she gets a pass yeah she's a it's a bad day it's a bad day um very stressful um yeah if i had to give an insta cancellation it would definitely be around that scene for me of um murder (laughs) gutting a potential rapist and um making me feel something akin to like all right dude now that that making me have to side with the guy to be like all right that's 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 maybe involve the police in this <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe phone someone in hr and then let's let's solve this up but maybe let's not ram his fucking head into uh into a building um weirdly woke moment what would you say is a weirdly woke moment a weirdly woke moment between p2 and no country for old men it's gonna be no country for old men this time 
uh, is going to be the point where uh, Tommy Lee Jones is first going to work and his wife gives him this whole speech that she clearly gives him every day when she's like, uh, don't forget this, don't forget that, uh, don't get hurt and don't hurt anybody else. And he's like, I'll try. <laughs> oh. It's beautiful. Um I think it might have something to do with uh, the very progressive way with which the Mexican um, uh, uh, medical system is portrayed yeah, yeah, yeah. in our country moment, uh, where Llewellyn Moss is uh, in a Mexican hospital after he's crossed the border and he is treated very well. Um, the lovely room is in Biola all by himself. I don't know if he, he couldn't have paid for it. I don't know who did, but um, he seemed to be well taken care of. I had another difficulty with this as well. I left it out, right? But the, the scene just before that, Josh Brolin's been shot. He's going over the the, the bridge to the border. He's sneaking into Mexico. Um, and I couldn't decide whether this was an instant cancer or a weirdly woke moment, but he wakes up covered in his own blood. Like it's mm. so visible. He's fallen asleep on like a stone pillar and he wakes up to a mariachi band singing him a nice little tune at what's like 4.30 in the morning. And I was like, and then he offers them like $100 and they take it and the scene cuts. And I'm like, I think the implication is they then take him to hospital. Oh, right? I see. But I was like, I, I was like, this is a weirdly woke moment in terms of, oh, this traveling mariachi band that was still gigging at four o'clock in the morning as the sun Crushing rose. Crushing Just like- <laughs> getting their money it's paying their dues yeah i was like that's a weirdly woke moment but also kind of an instant cancel that you would assume any wandering mariachi band would be like hey let's find the nearest homeless guy and torment him yeah there's lots going on i also realize now i know nothing about mariachis because all of these things sound equally true to me (laughs) equally plausible we're like yeah mariachi bands do that they wake people up at 4 30 in them that sounds right to me. I don't know. No, it's, it it's not right. Uh, look, man, who are we to say? Who are we to say? Um, the next category that we usually have, Freaky Friday, if you had to swap characters between P2 and uh, No Country for Old Men, what would you do? This is a very difficult one because all of the characters in No Country for Old Men serve a very clear purpose. And um, all of the performances are very, very good. What would you P2, do? P2 has very few um, characters, which makes this difficult. So, I would swap uh, Anton Chigurh and uh, American Beauty. Let's you let's get Anton Chigurh in P two. He kills her in ten minutes, and like we'll just go home and and do other stuff. Uh, watch like YouTube reaction videos or whatever because we're busy. Everyone has Christmas to do. Um, no country for old men. I like the idea of a simpy Drake like killer <laughs> who um, wants to kill people but also wants them to like him yeah yeah, yeah. Him. <laughs> i like that i like that idea so like he is like he kills the guy the guy falls down he's like oh i only wanted to be friends like, <laughs> i like amuses me i like the idea of uh i like the idea of that final scene with anton chagall replaced with uh with the simp boy <laughs> where he's like i killed your husband he was abusing you and she's like no he was really he nice was, he's like, no, he was really nice i love you and he's like no no that was my husband i cared deeply for him <laughs> like what are you doing you woman 
I would argue that Tommy Lee Jones has been 84 years old since 1976, and then he just ages one year every decade. Yeah, I can. That's. Are you suggesting? Have you been knee deep into your uh, QAnon? Are you suggesting <laughs> he's an old lizard person? <laughs> but is, I, is he is he in the pedophile cabal in, in really, Hollywood? No, I really hope not. I really no. hope not. The cabal. The you know what the beauty the beauty of the cabal is? Oh, because I actually also listen to this a bit. Is um, the only people in the cabal are people who are progressive. Right, yeah, so yeah, yeah. If you ever change your your opinion even a little bit, you're like, "Well, guess who's back in the cabal now?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This guy over here. Oh, <laughs> you want everyone to be able to vote equally? Guess what? Guess who's a pedo? Yeah, 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 it's you. Yep. Every time an old comedian apologizes for blackface, they're like, "He's a nonce." That's it. Look, look, there it is. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. And then you can unapologize and be like, "Well, I guess he isn't." So <laughs> it just goes back. At- Moral relativism. Um, now we used to. What's the other one? Genre blender. You kind of gave a little bit of a, of a genre blender for um, for P two. Yeah, for P two. I just, I just want, I want the psychopath to be so completely self aware that it's like a, it's a comedic split personality thing, where he's like, I just want to be, I just want to go out on a nice date. Let me fucking kill this guy. No, 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 no. Don't worry. I know that was crazy. That seemed. Let's dial it back and. I want him to be, instead of it d- devolving as it always does into him realizing, oh, she's never going to love me and then I'm going to go full crazy. I want him to always be like, maybe? And I, uh, respectful as well. That's the thing. I want him to still be like, maybe coffee in the morning, yeah. you know, in a public place. Mm. You know what You know what I think that movie really isn't that far away is if, I think if it gets made 10 years earlier, that's like a legit, um, like a romantic comedy <laughs> yeah like i think if it gets made in the late 90s or like the mid 90s i think you play julia roberts plays a kidnapped woman yeah. held hostage by uh like richard gear yeah. or uh you grant or whoever and she just falls in love with him and they ride off into the sunset i think that's what happens yeah this movie is one concussion away from being overboard yeah, hundred percent. We're like he convinces her that like yeah, she's always been with him. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and in the end, she's just like, oh yeah, he did lie to me and have sex without my consent. But he's so cute though. <laughs> yeah. Aww. But he killed doggy. that guy. <laughs> that guy I didn't like for some reason that he told me. Wow, why didn't I like that guy? Ah, isn't it's important not to think about too many questions. Stupid yeah. woman. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid, stupid, stupid. Yeah, yeah. And Smash Mouth um, play over the credits. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do with P two. That's what I would do with P two. Um, if you had to do a, uh, if you had to do a sequel, if you had to do a sequel to either No Country for Old Men or to P two, a P P three as it were. P three, yeah. P three era and blacker. Uh, what, would it, <laughs> what would the P three sequel be? P P three for me, a hundred percent. Is Angela in Europe? P three in space. What would P three for me is Angela. Just it's the next day. It's her at Christmas lunch, looking at her sister, being like, "You know what you fucking said." <laughs> That's the whole sequel. This is like a really bad, like a really intense, like Woody Allen family drama, like a very intense. 
relationship between mothers and daughters just completely it slowly tight. becomes whatever happened to baby jane where she's just pushing her sister down the stairs and shit being like oh i guess you fell you're not in distress oh man i think um if i oh, if i had to do p2 i'm trying to you'd have to start it the next day um this is uh the problem with this movie is because it's p2 and it's set in this parking garage it's um it's the prison break problem, um, which which is um, if you had to set a sequel, you have to keep setting it in, uh, in parking carriages. So this woman, um, it's just uh, she tries to, you know, she's terrified. She's got PTSD. Um, she can't get back um, into the parking garage. And then some uh, 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 psychiatrist who is like, you got to fight your fears, sweetheart. You got to go back. You got to go back into the parking <laughs> garage. Don't let these... That's not what America is about. <laughs> and she goes back and it's the same thing. She gets, yeah, yeah. She gets, she gets held hostage in a different parking garage. And um, it's the same thing all over again. And she can never go into parking garages now. She always has... Dude, honestly, it's costing her a, for- a fortune <laughs> in parking costs because she has to... Uh, yeah. The upside is she does get good health because she has to park really far away. Mm. Um, gets really good at parallel parking as well. I th- I, um, I all th- of these things. I think in 40 years, that franchise then sees a revival where she's brought back as the original actress is like a cameo. And somebody's like, how are you getting to Christmas? And she's like, oh, I take the bus everywhere now. And the audience is like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like the thing yeah. that she said before the thing. Ah, ah, ah. This is how I, I say this right now. I say this right now. This is how I literally asked. I took your advice. Um, I, I want to say, uh, sorry, do you want to say anything else about P2 or? Uh, no, dude. That was a fucking garbage movie. It was fucking atrocious. That's it. It was uh, It was bad. I don't think it was nearly as bad as uh, some of the other things that we've done that haven't even been released yet. So I won't. I won't oh, touche. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, I took your advice, started watching Cobra Kai. Brilliant. Right? If the measure of something is how much it exceeds my expectations, this might be the greatest piece of, <laughs> piece of cultural content in the last 50 years. If, yeah. If the measure of something is how much better it is than it needs to be. Yeah. Cobra Kai might be the might be apocalypse now. No like, business being that good. No, no fucking business. 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 <laughs> it's, it's so much better. I've never seen it something like this before. Yeah. Oh man, I can't. It's just. I, I, you know I'm, what? It, yeah, I'm pissed. I finished it. Oh man, you know what it is? It's like you know that like they say monkeys if they write on typewriters. Yeah. In 500 years, they would write a Shakespeare play. Mm. This is it. The monkeys, <laughs> the monkeys have hit the keys in the correct way and come up with an absolute masterpiece. Yeah, and it's oh, honestly because like I tell people I've watched and like I feel like this is ninety percent of the fan base. It's like no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. wait yeah. Let me <laughs> let me tell you. Let, no, wait. It, it's really good. And uh, you're like Cobra Kai. Like, oh, dude, you should go on. You should just walk into traffic like you should not even be outside mm. they should confiscate your tv like but no uh, but no it's, it's 
It's like, bro, and it's the thing is, there was only one monkey, and it was Joe Lawrence, the bully from the original fucking Karate Kid, who was like, you know what? I'm sick of it. <laughs> and he just fucking banged it out, man. I, um, one of my favorite things about it, um, is from time to time, the movie, or the, sorry, the show will lampshade just how outrageous it is that karate is the yeah. fucking gl- glue that holds this community together. And two is um, Johnny Lawrence, um, not just not understanding the internet, but literally like not understanding what the, like computers, like you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, this is, to me, that isn't a comment on how old he is. That's like, this guy's clearly suffered so many concussions that he is unable to even grow up. Like a four-year-old knows where the on button is on a laptop. <laughs> He's just like, what is this yeah it's it's so good and it's the thing is johnny lawrence is just not lived anything since the first karate kid movie brilliant and it's just yeah it's exactly how i want it is it's it's exactly how you want these fucking things to age is like yeah this guy's stuck in 1986 forever what i i do want to make one recommendation me and my partner watched the other day uh, was we saw The Five Bloods. Oh, man, I, that movie is fucking terrible. Oh, mate, I... Get Adam... <sighs> Delroy Lindo, and this is the thing, the film, loads of problems with the film. This guy's performance, I'm like, this is the best performance I have seen f- since Philip Seymour Hoffman died, man. This is one of the best oh, acting gigs I've seen. Was it, was Philip Seymour Hosman's death? Was that the performance? (laughs) (laughs) You'll see. He's coming. (laughs) Philip Seymour Hosman dies. All right. I'd like to thank the Academy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, dude, I hated The Five Bloods. I hated that movie. That was, that to me was like a student film. I see Um, what you're saying. Uh, Like it could have been two hours Mm. shorter and it would have been beautiful. I think Spike Lee has lost it. And I think, you know what I actually think has happened? I, I say this all the time. I think Django Unchained broke Spike Lee. Because Spike Lee came out and was like, he expected, uh, it was like that scene where like he was out front. He's like, who's with me? And like the, all of the black community was like, no, we fucking love this movie. And Spike mm. Lee was all on his own. He was Tommy Lee Jones. He was uh, no country for old black men that was Spike Lee. <laughs> And he's never been able to make a good movie since. I think he's made one good movie since then, but for the most part, I think he's fallen apart. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with that for the most part. But I do agree with him on the Tarantino thing, man. No, but like, here's the thing: I had to defer to you on on Inglorious Bastards mm. because uh, because shout out to all my Jewish people and shout out to you, Sam. <laughs> I had to defer. I had to defer to you on that one. That's your tribe. I can't argue with you. Mm, yeah, I'm telling you, Django. Nah, like that, that shit's a banger, 100% through. Uh, I like, and I appreciate that. And shout outs to all my black people and you, Lincoln, right? But it's this, but I can't help but feel like the thing that Inglorious Bastards got me was like, yeah, I love this, but you're a fucking douchebag for saying that if we'd have stood up for ourselves, we'd have the thing. And I'm like, I know I can't understand the black struggle but i feel like you're very much doing the same thing that you did with jews and you've done your whole career but that's what i'm trying to say is that black people it's the same thing it's like what we spoke about this last week or whenever that episode will come out is 
Adele is textbook <laughs> cultural appropriation. Mm. And white people went, yeah, get her, right? And then black people were like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, you yeah, leave yeah. Adele alone. That's exactly what's happened with Quentin Tarantino. We rock with Quentin. We think his movies are dope. Therefore, we are willing to excuse all other things because in the pursuit of dopeness, mm. of great art, we're like, oh no, you, you can cook with our stuff. It's cool. Mm. And, I, and I, have to, I have to accept that I may, if I'm not in a position to say uh, that for the Jewish community or the, <laughs> whoever, or, or the uh, blonde martial arts community. <laughs> I'm not in a position to, to speak for them, but I can speak for black people when I say, like, we rocked with Django. We rocked with Django all the way through. But also shout out to all my Jews listening. Let's get him. Let's <laughs> fuck it. Let's get him. <laughs> get him right. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Let's stop. Let's stop. This is getting, yeah, this yeah, is getting yeah. out of control. It's getting out of control. Um, guys, uh, tune in next week um, when we um, when we go back on Quentin Tarantino's discography, <laughs> bit by bit. Uh, shout outs to all my um, uh, people whose names are colors community. Shout outs to <laughs> uh, shout outs to all my stunt women community. Shout outs to all my John Travolta uh, community. Mm. Shout outs to all my John Travolta community. <laughs> Uh, we're here for you guys. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, see ya. Check you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>